Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a good morning. It's going to be 40 degrees today, guys. Um, if you're watching online and you live in a warm state, 40 degrees to us is a big deal right now. So we are thankful for that. Let's uh, pray and then we're going to jump into our sermon today in Hebrews chapter 4. Father, thank you for your great love towards us. Thank you that you are God who uh, doesn't leave us in the dark and doesn't leave, leave us trapped in our own sins but you have devised a way to free us. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are active. And we pray this morning that you would be active uh, through this sermon, through your word, through the book of Hebrews, and we would be encouraged and we would be changed because we've encountered you through the preaching of your word. And we will give you all the glory for that, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we're in Hebrews chapter 4, so if you have a Bible, can turn. If you don't have a Bible... Um, you can just look at the screen behind me. To prepare us, I want to read um, Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 16. Uh, the sermon is actually going to be basically on, on verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. But the main emphasis, is, as we'll see in a moment, is going to be chapter, uh, verses 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 4. But to set it in context a little bit, we're going to start up a few verses. So, the author of Hebrews says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this, these verses we're going to look at today um, are, are very important verses in the Bible as a whole. And so if we want to hone in, we're eventually going to hone on, in on verses 14, 15, and 16. And these verses, if you study these verses and you read scholars about these verses, they would say that these verses, verses 14, 15, and 16, are a hinge that connects the first part of the letter of Hebrews with the rest of the letter of Hebrews, primarily the whole way through chapter 10. And so I want you to think about this morning, all of you walk through a number of doorways this morning. You walk through a doorway in your bedroom, through your house, into the church, all of those doorways had one thing in common. Do you know what those, that was? They had a hinge. And guess what I have in my pocket? I happen to have a door hinge 
in my pocket. Like all of the projects I've ever done at my house, I always have leftovers. So this is a door hinge, and, and day after day, week after week, year after year, you experience the benefits of a hinge, and I'm gonna guess you didn't think anything of it today. You didn't look at the door, thank the Lord that there was a hinge on the door. Um, no, we just kind of walked by it. Well, the hinge is super, super important because what the hinge does in a door, it connects the door to the door frame, which connects to the wall, which makes the door hold up and connects it. Well, this, these three verses we're gonna look at are a hinge in the passage. And so they connect from verse one, chapter one, through 14, chapter 13, the whole way through chapter 10. And rather than just appreciating that they connect and there's a bridge to the rest of the letter and the rest of the sermon of Hebrews, what we wanna do this morning is really fixate our mind on the actual hinge verses, which is verses 14, 15, and 16. And what I'm hoping is that every time you see a door hinge from the rest of your life here on out, you'll think of verses 14, 15, and 16. And the reason I'm hoping that is there are a, a number of places in the Bible that there are these key verses that if you get your mind around those verses and what they actually mean, and you really believe them, and you stake your life on them, they're life-altering. They are, they, they are transforming. They will change your, the, even the trajectory of your life, the trajectory of how you pray, the trajectory of how you live, the trajectory of how confident you are of what's gonna happen when you die. This hinge verse, verses 14, 15, and 16, are, are of that category. Now, all of the Bible is inspired by God. All of the Bible is God's word, but there are certain parts of the Bible where we get kind of like the, the Bible in a capsule. It's like this concentrated Bible in just a few verses. And this section is one of those places. And so what I'd like you to do this coming week is get really familiar with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15, um, 14, 15, and 16. Read it. Think about it. Look at it. Pray through it. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see it and understand it and truly believe it. Because if you remember, if you've been coming for a few weeks, one of the big themes in the book of Hebrews is the theme of endurance, of persevering, of continuing this life as tricky and as difficult as it might be with a, a great trust in the Lord. And verses 14, 15, and 16 are really like an engine that's gonna fuel your endurance if you truly believe and understand what's in verses 14, 15, and 16. Two big points, two big ideas today from the passage. The first is we're to hold fast. We're to hold fast to Jesus. We're to trust in him. We're to keep looking towards him and hoping in him. And we're to draw near. We can boldly and confidently approach God. And we'll see reasons why here in a moment. So we're to hold fast and we're to draw near. First point, hold fast with confidence and hope. Hold fast. Let's look at our hinge passage again. Since then, or your Bible might say, therefore, we have a great high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the effects of the whole of Hebrews is that we would hold fast to Jesus. We would we would trust the person of Jesus who is fully God and fully man. We would have great confidence to give all of our worries, all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our fears, and we would trust in Jesus, God who became man. Now the reason I started verse 12 is because verse 12 and 13 really kind of sets the tone. Verse 12 and 13 are this probing verse about God's word and the, the fact that we're all one day, no matter what you believe about God, will be standing before God having to give an account. So in some ways, um, verse 12 and 13 are this, this somewhat scary reality that, that we have to answer before the Lord. And that helps us to appreciate the hinge verse of 14 and 15 and 16. Verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active. The Bible, it's, it's living and active. I said last week, it's the only book that reads us. As you read the Bible, it reads you. It, it probes into your, your motives and your thoughts. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, God's word has this unique probing ability. And that can be somewhat fearful if we're living in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. If you, if you remember when Jesus was on earth, he, he talked about God's law. And one of the things that he did with the Ten Commandments is he actually took them to the, the thought and motive application. So in the Old Testament, it said we are to not murder. We're to not kill anybody. It's a good law. Um, and Jesus said, if you ever get angry at someone, you've committed the sin of murder. And so he's, he's taking God's law and he's probing. He's, he's using the word of God to probe into our hearts and intentions. So hopefully none of us have murdered anyone, but all of us have been angry. So all of us have that seed sin. Then he did the same thing with lust. He said, um, the, the God's command says, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if anybody looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's committed adultery. And so God's word will do this probing thing where, where we see that God is holy and we are sinful. And without a savior, without one who could go in our place between God the Father and cover our sin, we're, we're exposed and we have to give an account to the Lord. And the only safe way to give an account to the Lord is to be hidden in Jesus, to be trusting in Jesus alone. That's why this hinge verse is such a big deal. It's why it's such good news. It's why Jesus alone is the hope of the world. So you can have great confidence that Jesus, our high priest, went before us. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve so that on that day when we meet the Lord face to face, if you've trusted in Jesus, 
You are covered with His perfect thought life, His perfect behavior, His perfect everything is credited to your spiritual account. He's the hope we need to hold on to. He's the one you need to keep running back to over and over again. I met Jesus personally when I was 19 years old is when I trusted in him and and when he opened my eyes to see my need for a savior. I turned from my sins. I put my trust in him. And at the age of 19, if you would have said, Joe, do you trust Jesus? I would say, I absolutely trust him for everything. I'm staking my whole life on him. I'm staking my whole eternity on him. Now, 26 years later, if you would ask me, do you trust Jesus? I would say, absolutely, but I trust him a lot more now than I did back then. I trusted him then. I trust him even more now. Why is that? Because for the last 26 years, I've spent lots of time in his word and in prayer and spending time with him and getting to know him more and more. And for those of you who are just trying to figure this out, should I trust him? Can I trust him? Will he be faithful? He absolutely will be faithful. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, not only do you have God's word, but you have, now you have a track record of experience where you see God be faithful day after day, week after week, year after year. And one of the beauties of being part of a church is you don't just have the experience of your own life, you have the experience of the whole church and watching God care for his people year after year after year. Hold fast to Jesus. Next sub-point is hold fast to Jesus, the perfect, superior, appointed, great high priest. I was trying to think of every adjective I could find. Hold fast to Jesus, the perfect, superior, appointed, great high priest. Look at verse 14 again, the beginning of our hinge. Since then, we have a great high priest. We don't just have a high priest. A high priest was the, the, the person um, who was appointed to go to, into God's presence on behalf of the people. He'd bring a sacrifice on behalf of the people for their sins. And so he would go um, and he would enter into God's presence for behalf of the people. The problem was, whether it was Aaron or some of his descendants that followed, they had their own sinful nature. So they were, some of them were faithful high priests, but they weren't perfect high priests because they had the same human nature we had. Jesus is the great high priest who is absolutely 100% perfect. And this, this idea can get a little abstract to us because we don't think much about the Jewish sacrificial system and going into God's presence. So in addition to thinking about our hinge verse this week, I want you to do one other thing. It's going to be a little harder, but you can do it. I want you to read Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. It's talking about um, the atonement and the priest going before um, the Lord and all that was required in there. And you'll see in Leviticus chapter 16, you don't have to look there now, you'll see there's a mention of Aaron and there's a mention of his sons. His sons were also to be priests. They were priests they were going to go behalf of the people, but they didn't follow the rules, and so they actually were killed 
in God's presence because they went out of bounds. So to get this wrong is a very big deal. And so we have a high priest who is absolutely perfect. He's the great high priest. He's the perfect high priest, and he's the eternal high priest. In our section in Hebrews, um, the author is actually developing and, and quoting Psalm 110, verse 4, which, which references this man, this, this kingly high priest named Melchizedek that we're going to learn some things about in the next few weeks. But, but the point is, no matter who it was, no matter what name you could put out there, Jesus is the superior high priest. He's the one who is going to go before us. For those of you who like reading books in order and, and studying in order and just following strict rules, you're not going to like what I'm going to do next. But what we're going to do is Hebrews, basically chapter 5, 1 through 10, supports our hinge. And so we're going to dip out of order into different places where you're going to see how Jesus is this superior high priest. So we're going to drop down to verses 5 through 10 in Hebrews 5. So also Christ, that's the title Messiah referring to Jesus, he did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. So you couldn't just make yourself a high priest. You couldn't wake up one day and think, I want to be a high priest. Or you couldn't, if you had children, you couldn't make your children high priests. Think, oh, they should be the high priest. It's not, it doesn't work like that. You have to be appointed. So also, as Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son. The him there is God the Father. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, as Jason's going to teach us in a few weeks, is this kind of mysterious kingly priest that was a real person that we don't have a lot of details about, but Jesus is, is kind of like the greater Melchizedek, the greater eternal high priest who has no end. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now you can be thinking, priest and a guy named Melchizedek, what does that have to do with my life right now? It actually has everything to do with your life right now. See, Jesus is this great high priest. He's an eternal high priest, which means he will live forever, which means he is the king forever, which means he will be the one that we have to stand before. And when we stand before him, we're either a brother or sister or an enemy. You're either with him or against him. There is no middle ground. And so we want to get Jesus right. We want to understand him for who he actually is. And then we want to trust in him and not run from him. So we're to hold fast to Jesus who passed through the heavens on our behalf, opening the way to God the Father. This is no small thing. Look at our hinge, verse 14 again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. See, in the Old Testament, the high priest had to follow all these rules and then prepare the sacrifice and prepare himself to enter eventually into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. What he's saying here is Jesus is actually the superior high priest. 
He didn't go into the temple or the tabernacle. He entered into heaven, into God's presence, into the ultimate holy of holies. And by so doing that, he opened the way for you and I to enter God's presence forever. See, Jesus is the superior high priest in every way. Well, how did he do it? This is how he did it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, when the high priest would have to go before to go into God's presence, he'd have to have a sacrifice for the people, but he'd also have to have a sacrifice for himself. See, Jesus was unique in that he was the great high priest who actually was the sacrifice as well. So he went before the people, on behalf of the people, but he went as the very sacrifice. And the only reason he could do that is because he was absolutely perfect in every way and he was fully God. This is why Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions, our failure to keep God's perfect standard. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed by the wrath of God for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. See, I want you to see Jesus' affection for you. He wasn't just going on before God on our behalf. He actually was sacrificing himself for us because of his great love for us. He is the great and superior high priest. Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to God the Father. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am absolutely the truth. And I am the life. If you live a restless life and you, you're just never satisfied, only Jesus can give you that life. Only Jesus can bring that satisfaction and that peace. So we're to hold fast to Jesus. So he's this great high priest. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's the great king. He's mighty. He's fully God. So then we might think, well, can he relate to us at all? Can he understand our plight? Can he sympathize with us in any way? Here's what makes him so great. He is a sympathetic high priest. We are to hold fast to Jesus who sympathizes with our weaknesses and temptations. He is uniquely qualified. Look at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 5. For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of man in relationship to God. That's the call. That's the role. That's the job. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So even the human high priest who is not Jesus, they were to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, with those who would, would, would get in trouble, get snared up in all kinds of sins and disobedience, since he himself is beset with weakness. 
Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for our sins, to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. This is where Jesus parts ways. Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifice for himself. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only one one called by God, just as Aaron was. And so Jesus was called by God. And he enters into this broken world, being fully God, pre-existing before he became a baby, grows up, and then he steps into this role as one who would come to God on our behalf. Now, go back to our hinge, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Remember when I said I want you to think about these verses and really consider them and and ask yourself, do I really believe this? And if I really believe this, does this increase my confidence to go to Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to talk to Jesus? Because it should. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you study the life of Jesus, we learn that he was tempted in many ways. He was tempted in loneliness. There were times where, particularly near the end of his life, where even his closest friends, they all bailed on him. They all deserted him. Peter denied even knowing him. So it wasn't just like he, he left him. He said, oh, you were with Jesus. I, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't even know who he is. So, so Jesus would have had this pronounced temptation uh, that comes with betrayal, with loneliness. So who can you trust? Who, who are my true friends? One part in the Bible that says that Jesus didn't even have a place to, to lay his head. He didn't have his own house as a young adult. He was poor. With poverty may have come temptations to self-pity. At times he was hungry. Once people found out that he could heal them, the crowds would just press in on him, and pushing, yelling, and probably swearing at times, I want to get to Jesus. I need to talk to Jesus. And with that would come temptation. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah 53 that we might not think about often where it says that, that basically there was nothing physically attractive about Jesus. You can look it up for yourself in Isaiah 53. There was nothing of his physical stature or his physical appearance that would have drawn people to him. So with that comes all kinds of temptations. Jesus would have been tempted to worry. Jesus would have been tempted to get angry. He got really angry with the self-righteous people. He probably got tempted to get angry with his disciples who were just really slow to get it. You know, think if you're Jesus, like one day there's a blind man there, you pray for him, he can see, can suddenly see, and then the next day your disciples are supposed to be praying with you and they're, they're sound asleep again. Or they're hungry and they just watched you multiply fish and loaves and now they don't think you can help them. So with that came temptations. What makes Jesus unique is that he was perfect. Though tempted, 
He never sinned. But he is so able to identify with our weaknesses, with our fears, with our worries, with our temptations. I mean, Jesus, this is somewhat unique to Jesus, at least in the duration, is he was uniquely tempted by Satan for 40 days where he just hounded him over and over and over again. And Jesus passed the test perfectly. The point is this. You can trust Jesus. He is sympathetic. He is trustworthy. See, I don't know about you, but when I'm learning something, whether it's uh, like a sporting type thing or uh, a life type thing, I like to learn from people that actually have done it before. That doesn't mean that people can't teach you that haven't actually done it. So think of a coach. If you had to pick two coaches, when I was in high school, I had two cross-country coaches. One um, was a bigger guy, and one was a runner. And they were both really good coaches. But there was a natural gravitational pull to most of the runners, to the the 30-year-old coach who could still run faster than all the guys on the team because he had been there. He had done it. And so we're, we're more prone to go that way. That doesn't mean a coach has to play the sport. It just means there might be a preference. Uh, think about this. If you are a parent, which kind of parenting books would you read? If you're reading the back covers, one is um, all these degrees and expertise in a whole bunch of areas, but in a little small sentence, it just says they, they don't have children. You, you read the, the back and they don't have children. Then the other one is not quite as impressive, but they mention they happen to have 10 children. Um, well, you can learn stuff from both, right? But you're going to learn different things from the one who has 10 children. You're going to learn what it's like to be vomited on. You're going to learn what it's like to not have been having a sound night's sleep for for years and years. You're gonna learn what it's like to have all these different demands of different ages pressing on you. And so you learn different things from the people that have walked through it. Um, a couple years ago, Mel Massingale, the lead pastor of Summit, gave me this great book reference. It's called Leadership Pain. And basically, it's all these Christian leaders who just went through very difficult times. And, um, it's not a book for everybody. It's a little bit depressing. But the point is that they, they walk through these difficulties and they make it out the other side experiencing the faithfulness of Jesus. And you think, oh, these are the kind of people, if you're in a tough spot, you want to follow and learn from. Jesus is that kind of person. It's not theoretical. He didn't stay in heaven. He came to earth and he lived among us and experienced all these temptations. He sympathizes with you. His great affection for you. Even if you're at the throes of messiness, he has great affection for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, like a wooden thing that you yoke animals together, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So you can trust in Jesus. He is unlike anyone else 
in the whole world. You can trust him. Hold fast to Jesus, who is completely sinless. We're going to jump around to Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So throughout his adult life and ministry, he would pray. He'd pray for his disciples. He'd pray for the future of the church, which is us. He would pray and he would pray. Pray with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he knows what's coming. He knows how excruciating it's going to be. He knows that for a moment in time, for the first time, he's going to have fellowship, his relationship with God the Father severed because the sins of the world are going to be placed upon him. And God the Father is going to pour out wrath upon Jesus. He's, he knows this is coming. He's, he's praying and pleading and crying out to the Lord. If it's possible to do it the other way, may it happen. But if not, I will drink this cup. I will take this hard road. Why would he do that? He would do that because he loves you. Because he's sympathetic. Because he's merciful. Because he's unlike any other world leader that's ever walked the face of the earth. He's going to go to the cross so that we don't have to experience eternal hell and death if we trust in him. So it says, loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So in his adult life, he learned obedience. He was never disobedient, but he had to walk through it. He had to be tested. And every test, every temptation, he passed perfectly. And being made perfect, or I think a better way to understand this is, is demonstrating his perfection through testing, he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him, to all who trust in him. See, he didn't have to deal with any of his own sins. If you think about it, he didn't actually have to go to the cross at all. There was no reason that he went to the cross except because he loves us. He did nothing wrong. He deserved no punishment in any way. And yet he willingly did it because he's a sympathetic, compassionate, filled with overwhelming love, high priest. Paul says it this way, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, a mediator, go-between, one who, who brings reconciliation between two opposing parties. See, we in our sin by nature, we're at war with God in his holiness. God in his holiness is at war with us, even though we are created in his image. And Jesus alone is the one who mediates between the two parties. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom to all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, Paul says, I'm not lying, a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. The point is you can trust Jesus. You may not be able to trust anyone in the world. I hope you can. I hope you find people you can trust. But if you can't, you can always, always trust in Jesus. This brings us to the second point, which won't be as long as the first. Draw near with boldness and great expectation. Because of who Jesus is, 
we can draw near. We can draw near to God who is perfectly holy. We can enter. You can pray to Him. You can go to Him. You can have a personal relationship with Him only because of Jesus. Look at verse 16, the last part of our hinge. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The more you comprehend who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the more your confidence will build in him. Andrew, if you want to put that video up, don't start it yet, though. Or you can start Okay, thank you. So let me set what that video is. That is me at a West Virginia football game in 2019 with one of my best friends, Clinton Montoro. And the poor quality video is all my fault. But I am on the field there. I am about, let's say, eight feet away from the sideline. And the reason I was able to do that is because my good friend Clinton, his cousin, um, works in the PR department of West Virginia. And so we had press passes for the day at this football game on October 12th, 2019. Can we show that one more time? If possible. So the other thing I'm trying to do there is because we have press pass, we're trying to play it off like we belong there. So I have my camera like down, down low. Well, here's what happened. We get these press passes. We, we, we didn't know like how much access we would have to anything. So we get there and we, I think that his cousin mailed these press passes. So we have these green lanyards with these big tags that say press. And we get to the press parking lot and we realize like we know we're not press and probably other people know we're not pressed, but we're, we're in the special parking lot. We, we go into the press box, which is, is up high where all the, um, where the athletic director of West Virginia was there. We got to meet him. There's all the, the scouts are up there. The NFL scouts are up there. ESPN is filming right in the one booth and we're like sticking our head in. So we, we had access because of these tags that we were on. And when we came in in the morning, we were, we were kind of hesitant. You know, we looked like we didn't belong there. But we were just following his cousin. Um, but as the hours went on, our confidence in these passes kept growing and growing. So one of the things they did for all the press people, I guess everybody does this, they had a, a food buffet and, and all you can eat and drink. And so, you know, the first time we're taking little portions and in line with all the press people. By the end of the day, we're, we're loading up the plates. Uh, we're drinking the free coffee. We were down on the field. And I mean, we were down on the field. We were as close as you could be to the field. And because we were with his cousin, who is uh, an important PR person at, the, at West Virginia University, before the game, he took us all around the stadium. We were at all the places that you, nobody can go. And we were in the, the ESPN truck getting to see how they do all the filming. And so we're just like little kids walking around. And so we're following him and excited and trying to play it off cool. And then at the end, if you've ever been to the West Virginia football field, at the one end zone, there's doors there. And so we're following his cousin into the room. The doors open this pregame. 
And we are now in the locker room with all the West Virginia football players. Rap music's just blaring, and we're just right there. And it was a little awkward, but it was okay, because it's like, wow, this is really cool. We have total access. So the whole day, we had access. And the whole reason we had access had nothing to do with us. There was nothing we did to earn or deserve why we were there. We were able to kind of run up and down and all throughout the stadium. So on that video, we eventually are, are up in the stadium, then we're down on the field. It had everything to do with who we knew and the pass around our neck. But the confidence level that grew over time once we realized what this actually meant, it grew and grew. Why I want you to have that image is because that's how it should be if Jesus is your great high priest. When you first trust in Jesus, it's like, well, I think he hears my prayers. He said I should pray, so maybe I'll pray. But once you realize that the way was opened once for all, not because of anything you've done or deserve, but because of everything Jesus has done on your behalf, your confidence level, your trust in him should grow and grow. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, there, there's probably times where you've been more confident and times where you've lost sight and you've been less confident. One of the things the Lord wants to do with this hinge passage is that your confidence level in Jesus would grow and grow. That you would feel very confident praying to the Lord. You would feel very confident that the day that you die, you will be with him in the presence of the Lord. Not because of anything you've done, but because who he is and what he has done for you. That is the good news of Jesus. That is the good news of the Bible. That's why we need to draw near with boldness and great expectation. Look at verse 16 again. Let us then, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, with confidence draw near. One of the things I remember from the football game is there's a lady who, we were kind of like the fancier part of the, the stadium, so there's a lady who would open and shut the door for you on the elevator, and she knew right away, we're, we're total goofballs, I just got free tickets to something. Um, but she got to watch the progression throughout the, the, the day. First, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were allowed to do and not allowed to do. By the end, we're just, she's like smiling at us. We're down in coffee and, and having a great time, and it all had to do with confidence. We had the exact same access at 8 a.m. that we had at 3 p.m. Nothing changed other than our awareness of what that reality actually meant. My prayer for all of us is the reality and the awareness of what it means to have confidence to enter this throne of grace would grow and grow. We're to draw near, listen to this, to the throne of grace. It's like a play on words. In, in Bible times, a king's throne was not a throne of grace. If you went in and you were not supposed to be there, you rushed towards the king, and you weren't invited, you could have been executed justly on the spot. God's throne is very different. It's a throne of grace, of undeserved favor that Jesus has purchased for you. And so every fear, worry, concern, thing that weighs upon you, you can bring to him. 
to his throne of grace. He's a generous, loving king who invites you in. And when you walk into his presence, you don't have to have your head down. You don't have to be ashamed. He wants you there. He's excited you're there. Zephaniah says that he delights over you and sings over you. He rejoices that you're there. The day you became a Christian, the Bible says that that heaven rejoices, the angels rejoice when one repents and trusts in Jesus. It is a celebration. And so we are entered into this glorious relationship that we don't deserve at all, that was purchased for us. So we have a great, great high priest. So this week, as you spend time just thinking about this hinge, Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16, I want you to stare at it. I want you to look at it over and over and over again. Lord, would you make this real to me? May this affect the way I live. May this affect the way I pray. May this affect the way I expect you will answer these bold prayers. Some of you are praying for friends to to come to know Jesus, for family members to come to know Jesus. You go to the king, to the throne of grace. He's excited and eager to hear those prayers and answer those prayers. So we're to draw near with confidence. And here's the confidence. You're going to receive mercy and you're going to find grace. I think sometimes we get all confused about what Jesus is like. Here's a, one of my favorite verses that gives a, just another snapshot of who he is and what he's like. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowd, so this is the crowd. This isn't necessarily people that even believed in him or trusted in him. He had compassion for them. When he saw the crowds in all their messiness, in all their colorful language, in all the things they were thinking and possibly doing, his first reaction is he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can hold fast to Jesus. You can draw near to Jesus. Let's all stand. I'm going to read the, our hinge verse one more time and then we're going to Pray and sing a closing song. If you guys wouldn't mind standing. And the band can come up. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible truths of your word. Thank you that this hinge verse is so absolutely true. Jesus, may our vision and view and gaze of you grow and grow And may it have the effect of endurance and perseverance. And those who have come in this morning burdened and weighed down, maybe with their own sins, maybe with the cares and concerns of their family and friends, maybe with the cares and concerns of our nation or our world. Lord, may we all learn to 
do what you tell us to do and cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would minister to us as we sing this final song. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.